This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity Church. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kyle Colbertson. I am the pastoral intern here at Trinity. Um, and just to answer everyone's burning question, yes, I am this sunburnt. Um, but it was a small price to pay for such a fun day yesterday at the beach with all of you, um, or at least most of you. Uh, I know my family and I had a great time out there having burgers and just hanging out in God's beautiful creation that is this island. Um, if you weren't there, then you should sign up for Trinity Notes, be able to stay in touch, uh, and be ready for the next one that's coming so you can be as sunburned as I am and enjoy the next day. But also, it's a blessing to be able to be here with you this morning in the air conditioning and be able to open God's Word together in 1 Samuel. As we continue in our sermon series, we're going to be jumping into 1 Samuel 12 this morning. Uh, it is Samuel's farewell address to the Israelites. And Samuel's giving this address because he is the final judge for Israel. No longer will they have a judge because they are now instituted a king. Um, Israel has demanded a king from God. And Samuel's going to continue to show them that this choice was evil and that this choice was stemming only from fear of man rather than when they should have been fearing the Lord. And we understand that fear is a powerful motivator. Each of us understands that fear plays an impact in a lot of the things we choose in our lives. Um, fear is a multi-billion dollar industry in what is known as insurance. Um, you've got car insurance, home insurance, life insurance, all of which are built upon the fact of fear of the worst case scenario. It's how they make their money. But we also make decisions every day that are determined ultimately by a lot of the fears we have. We choose where we live, we choose where our kids go to school, we choose what kind of car we're gonna drive, we choose even just where we tend to go and not go during certain hours of the day. All of these are based in some sort of fear. And while not all fear is wrong, Samuel's going to point out to Israel that the problem comes where you turn to, that fear exposes your allegiance, and that ultimately, what is the thing you fear the most? Do you have a fear of God, or are we more afraid of creation and man itself? And Samuel's going to show the Israelites that when Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, showed up, they proved that they were more scared of people than they were God, that they had more of a fear of man than they did God because they had forgotten God. And in their forgetfulness of God, Samuel's going to remind them that God remained faithful, as he always had, and that ultimately as they move forward with this new kingship, they are called into fearing of the Lord. And so those are the three things we're going to look at this morning, that our fear of man as God's people comes from a forgetfulness of God, that God remains faithful to us and will not forsake us as his children, and his faithfulness is meant to drive us into more of a fear of the Lord this morning. And so I invite you all to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of God's Word coming from 1 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Uh, now this is Samuel speaking, and it says, Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. 
And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw the Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and your king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And, Sam, and the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, for, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. May he bless it for you and for me. You may be seated. So the first thing we see in this passage is that Samuel's calling out and condemning Israel over their choice of a king. He's showing them that this choice was, in fact, evil, and that it stemmed out of a fear of man instead of a fear of God. That as the Lord's people, God had continued to walk them through without a king time and time again. He reminds them of the judges that they had had, that they had had Moses and Aaron, Jeroboam, that's Gideon, you have Barak, Jephthah, Samuel, and many more. And that through these judges and through God's leadership, they had overcome so many enemies in their past. They had conquered the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Philistines. God had continued to show up every single time they turned to him and deliver his people. And yet, then we see Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, shows up again, and they're afraid. They forgot God, and instead, they're searching for a solution to this problem. They say, we need someone to protect us. We need a deliverer. In 1 Samuel 8, 5, when they demand a king, it says that we want one to be like all the nations around us. You see, for the Israelites, when they needed a deliverer and they forgot God, they looked instead to their neighbors. When they should have looked to the Lord, they looked around them, they got on TikTok and Instagram and said, what does everybody else have that we need to be protected? And they saw that they all had a king. So we need one of those. But what about us? Don't we do the same thing? Don't we look to the world around us to try to figure out our own problems? 
When fears and anxieties rise up, do you look to your neighbor? Do you look to your family member? Do you look to Google? Do you look like me to myself? I'm always trying to solve my own problems, my own fears and anxieties. And I think back to the last couple months, uh, my wife and I have just bought a house uh, and moving down here in Puerto Rico. And the process of buying a house was something that I really exposed my fear of the Lord's provision and my worry that he wouldn't come through once again. You see, I was scared of homelessness and scared of not having a place to live, that it wouldn't work out, that it wouldn't be the right place. And so I continued to turn to myself to solve this problem, constantly looking at real estate listings, trying to scheme and scheme and find a way to get something new that somebody hadn't found out about. Once we were under contract, pushing real estate agents and pushing brokers to try to work faster and faster for fear that it would fall apart. All of my fears and my anxieties manifested in stress and just fear that God wouldn't come through. And yet like Israel, God has always come through in the past. Israel is scared of the Ammonites, yet God has already delivered them from the same people once before. And similarly, I was scared of God not providing a home when he has been so faithful to do so in just my recent past. See, look at 2018, my wife and I had just gotten married and we're living in St. Louis. We needed to come back to Columbus for a place to live for a couple months. And this winter, my, uh, my grandmother actually chose for the first time ever to go down to Florida and Texas for the winter. So we, God provided her condo rent-free for a couple months that we needed. The next year, 2019, we would be in Birmingham, Alabama, Alabama and have a cockroach-infested apartment and need to move. Well, at that same time, we had friends who had just stopped renting their condo to somebody else, and so they were able to provide us a place to live. Or even in February, when we moved down here and did not find a place, God provided in such a way that Natalia would be moving the same exact day that we were getting here, that we could live in her house until we could find a place. God continued to show up time and time again in my life in this exact same fear. And yet the minute it came up again, I didn't think he was good enough. Like the Israelites, I turned to my neighbor. I turned to myself. How often do we do that? What are we scared of this morning? What are your anxieties that are welling up inside you that you can't stop thinking about? Is it true that God has never come through for that same fear in the past? Or God has never walked through you with a harder situation? Or do we continue to be like Israel? Because the only way that you would ever choose something else as your king other than God is if you've forgotten that God is there, if you've forgotten what he's done for you in the past. But Samuel says that's what Israel has chosen. That's what they've decided. That's what they've demanded. And this is so often what we choose in our own lives. We choose to trust in ourselves and our things instead of trusting in the Lord as the king. But the good news is that Samuel shows them that despite this evil choice, despite them choosing wickedness, God remains faithful. Look again at verse 22 when it says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. You see, despite our evil, God will not forsake his people. He remains faithful. But even more so than that, he's not just faithful to forgive us, but he's able and powerful enough to work even the most evil of our decisions into his plan. See, Scripture tells us all across it that Jesus was to come as our Messiah through this line of kings that Israel established. That even before Israel had a king in this moment, when they chose this, it was evil, but it was something God had already known was going to come about. 
We read this morning in our New Testament passage about Melchizedek in Hebrews 7. Well, Melchizedek comes about in Genesis 14, and it's a character that the author of Hebrews explains to us is meant to foreshadow the Christ. It's meant to foreshadow how Jesus would come in the same way that he would come in the priestly line of Melchizedek. But see, it also says that Melchizedek was not just a priest, but he was a king. His name means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem or the king of peace. And that Jesus was to come not just in the priestly order, but the kingly line as our king of righteousness and our king of peace. The author of Hebrews shows that this promise of Jesus coming from a king was centuries before Israel even decided to have one. Again, we look to the Torah. We look at Deuteronomy 17 and Moses' divinely inspired law. In Deuteronomy 17, he talks about laws for Israel's kings. But Israel didn't have any kings at this point. So why would you write that in there? Except the Lord knew what was going to come about. The Lord knew that there would be instruction needed later. And Samuel actually quotes a lot of the same ideas in this passage when he talks to Israel how to move forward. God knew centuries before, all the way back in Genesis, in Deuteronomy, he reminded them, or even at the beginning of Samuel. Our first week in Samuel, we talked about Hannah's prayer. Hannah is Samuel's mother. And when Sam, before Samuel's even born, she has a prayer, and at the end she says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. All of these signs prove that God knew what Israel was going to choose. He knew their evil. He knew their wickedness. He knew their choices, and he chose to work them into his perfect plan of salvation. But why would God do this? Why wouldn't God just be like, hey, here's a king. Just stay here. We're going to move that forward to Jesus. It seems a lot easier that way. We probably want it that way because it would make more sense to us. But Samuel tells us that the reason God doesn't do this is because it's for his name's sake and the pleasure he has in having a people for himself. Ultimately, it's to show his power and to bring the deserved glory upon his name and also to show his love for us as his people. The easiest way to say this, I actually read an article this week about who God is, and they talked about God is a God who both can and cares. And that's the difference between our God and every other God in the universe. No other God both can and cares. You think of Allah and Islam. This is supposed to be an all-powerful being. It's a, it's a God that mandates his people in so many ways and rules over them, but he doesn't care about them. He doesn't want a relationship. They're required to do certain things only for his honor, not out of his love. Or look conversely at other gods of Eastern spiritualities or the self-love or you do you culture that we have. These are all gods that are meant to make us feel good. They care so much about us, but they're powerless. Who is going to be able to deliver them from the Ammonites when they show up? Who is going to be able to deliver you from your own sin? Who is able to conquer death? None of these gods live up to that bill. Only our God is a God that both can and cares. And it's because we have such a faithful God that we are here this morning. You see, just as God knew the wickedness of Israel long before they made this decision, God knew all of the wickedness of our hearts when he chose us as his children. Long before we have ever sinned last week, long before the sin we're living in today, and long before we sin tomorrow, God knew it. And he chose us as his children anyways. He still chose us to be his people. And the beauty of this is that it's not about us. 
It's not about what we do. It's not about how we live up to expectations. It's not about how we live perfectly and follow every rule and law. But it's only about God and his faithfulness to not forsake his people. You see, we can rely upon God and know that we are held as his children because we have a God that both can hold us and cares enough about us to do so. He will not forsake us, as Samuel so much wants to hammer home to Israel. But they've made the decision. They've got the king. God is still faithful. And so Samuel has to tell them, well, what does it look like moving forward? How do we go about this? What, is, what do we do now? And Samuel says that now we point you back to a fear of the Lord, where you should have been in the first place. He says that you have done evil. God is still faithful. Now fear the Lord only. And this fear is different than running away, cowering, hiding from God. Because you notice he starts it off with verse 20 when he says, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Now in our heads, those two sentences shouldn't be in the same spot. That you have done evil, but you don't need to be afraid. Especially when you think about where Israel is at this moment. So picture yourself in their shoes. You're outside in the desert listening to Samuel. And so you're there in the Middle East, in the middle of the dry season, it should never rain. And Samuel calls down rain from God, and God shows up in rain and thunder. But this thunder that Samuel calls down has happened once before. You see, chapters before in Samuel, we're told that God's thunder showed up at Samuel's call, and he defeated the Philistines for their evil. And so Israel is condemned rightly of their evil and their wickedness. God proves it is true, and he comes down in thunder and rain. So Israel should rightly be terrified. And yet Samuel says, do not be afraid. And he can say this because of the Lord's faithfulness to his people. You see, because God already knew their wickedness, it's not a surprise that this happened. God is not shocked that they made this decision. God is not shocked that they have wickedness in their hearts. He knew that and he chose them. And because we understand that God knows this, Samuel's telling his people that do not be afraid and run away and hide like Adam and Eve did. But rather, turn to the Lord, seek his mercy, run to him and live for him. That's why he follows it up with, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot deliver, for they are empty. He's saying, you have a king, but don't turn away from God. Keep going after the one thing that reigns true, the one thing that is in charge of all of the universe, the one thing that is worthy of our fear and our reverence. He's telling us that as God's children, our shame of our sin being exposed is no reason to hide from God because he already knows, but it is a reason to run to him. It is a reason to seek him out because he's faithful to forgive us. And in running to God, we want to seek to know him. When we know his forgiveness, it drives us to greater fear. Actually, it was our assurance of pardon, I believe, last week in Psalm 130, verse 4, that talks about we are forgiven that we might fear him more. Or in Deuteronomy 17, 19, the advice to the king of Israel from Moses was on the word of the Lord. He says, it shall be with him and he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes. Church, we're called to seek the Lord in his word all the days of our life. And then in doing so, that is how we receive this fear of the Lord. That is how we grow in our reverence of him. You see, this fear of the Lord is the one that Samuel discusses in verse 24 when he says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. 
You see, it's a fear that doesn't cause us to run away, but it's a fear of just simply us knowing who God is, realizing His magnificence in comparison to our finiteness, in comparison to the weakness of everything in all of creation, including ourselves. When we understand God's power in our own weakness, that fear, that reverence is healthy. It's something that keeps us safe in His arms. It's similar to a fear of power tools. Now, if you don't have a healthy fear of power tools, you probably should never use power tools. And this is a rule that I have broken in my own life. Um, just one year ago, uh, my wife and I had actually bought a home in Columbus, Ohio, and we have a very large dog, and so we needed to put a fence in the back. And so I decided to do this. I had some friends come help me out, and we cleared out the whole backyard, and there's no more bushes, and, but we needed to dig about 50 fence posts. And so... In my head, I was going to get this done by myself, turning to myself to get everything done. Not a problem. Looked up online and found that you could rent a gas-powered auger from Home Depot. And if you don't know what an auger is, it's basically about this tall. It's about that wide. You hold big handles at the sides, and it's got a giant drill bit on it. And you should just go down up. Looks so easy. Um, YouTube made it look, look not a problem. And so in my pride and my lack of a fear for the amount of power that this thing possessed, I thought I would just rent this thing and be done in a half hour to an hour. I was like, this is going to be so quick. And so I only rented the four hour from Home Depot because it was the same price as the one hour. I had no, no fear that I was not going to get this thing turned in in time. And I showed up to Home Depot. I barely loaded this thing in the car. Um, that should have been my first clue. Got it out, put all the gas in it, full tank, turned it on high, and went to dig the first hole. I'm still feeling great. And I got maybe six inches deep, and I hit a rock. And now when you hit a rock with one of these things, it's basically a giant drill. So if the drill bit stops spinning, something's got to spin. And so the top part that I'm holding just rips out of my hands. And you step, step back, and you realize this thing's stuck in the hole, so it is just going to sit there and spin until it stops, until somebody shuts it off. And so I'm still thinking, I've got this. And so I jump in, try to grab it, and about knocks my arm off. And so I realize that this is not going to be feasible. I'm not going to be able to catch it. I'm not going to be able to grab it. And so me, again, just not thinking through how powerful this thing is, I decided I would take what I had found in our yard earlier, which was a giant steel rod, um, one of those ones that you hang like a street sign on. So it's pretty big around. It's pretty long. And I was like, I'm just going to drive this in down by the base, get it in real deep, and then I'll tilt it up. And in my head, it was going to catch the auger. I was going to turn it off. All would be right in the world. I could go back to digging my holes. Um, obviously it didn't go well, um, but I get this thing in. I even took a sledgehammer to make sure it was down deep in the ground. And as I tilted it up, uh, I don't even remember if it went through once or twice, but it split the steel pole in half. It grabbed it and actually flung a piece around and smashed me in the leg with it. And so finally I'm sitting back bleeding in my new backyard one hour later and having dug six inches of 52 holes that needed to be dug 30 inches deep. And it's only at this moment that I realized that my YouTube knowledge and my sheer strength were no match for this power tool. And it's only at this point that I realized my own weakness. But see, if I had realized my own weakness in comparison with the power tool, if I had had a healthy fear of it, then it would have kept me from hurting myself. And similarly, Israel, had they, ex had they realized how powerful God was in comparison with the kings around them, it would have saved them from committing this evil, from replacing God with a finite king. 
You see, when we fix our eyes upon who God really is, what he has done for us, it puts our fears and our anxieties in proper perspective. You see, our fears expose a failure to fear the Lord. They expose how we don't see him as the one true Lord of our lives who can conquer all of your fears and who cares enough to do so. So this is what Samuel's calling them into. He's telling them and he's telling us, so now is the time to look to the Lord, to look more deeply into his word and remind ourselves that God is faithful, that he will not leave us or forsake us, that all our fears and our anxieties can be cast upon him as we can cry out with the Apostle Paul that there is not, nothing in this world that can take care of us, that all of our fears, we are more than conquerors through God who loved us first. But also we can understand this morning that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, not anything in all creation, not even Nahash of the Ammonites, your fears or your anxieties this morning can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we can come this morning and cry out with Samuel and follow his words that he says in 24, moving Israel forward and saying, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. But it only comes as we can come this morning, consider the great things he has done for you and for me as we worship him this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, that when we are truthfully seeking you, we see in your word all that you've done for us. We see how you knew us before we were even made, before we were formed in our mother's womb. You knew who we were. You knew our sin. You knew our wickedness. And yet you still chose us to be your people. Allow this to humble us, Lord. Allow us to seek you and to understand that there is not a fear in our mind. There is not an anxiety in our heart this morning that can trump you. There is not a king of this world that is greater and stronger than you are, but there's also not a mother or a father in this world that loves us more than you do. That Lord, allow us to not forget your ways, to not forget our history with you, to not forget the history that you've given us of you in your word. God, allow us to seek it all the days of our life, that we would come before it with humility and proper understanding that we would come before you in reverence and fear of the Lord ultimately. That when our fears would arise, that we would be turning to you first. That you would remain our king rather than anything else in this world, especially ourselves. Because God, we are broken, we are sinful, we are wicked and evil, just like the Israelites. And yet we can cry out to you and know that you are faithful to not forsake us that you are the one holding us and that you are the one walking with us through our fears, through our anxieties. And we need only turn to you and you alone as Lord. So God, allow us to grow in our fear of the Lord this morning and as we walk this week with you. In your holy name we pray, amen.